Well, this morning our choir has hit on the key theme of what I want to share with you this morning as we continue looking at the fruit of the Spirit. Last week we gave you some introductory remarks about the Spirit's work in our lives and how it's set up against the desires of or the works of the flesh. But the question is very, very simply answered in the song that they just sang. What does love look like? If you want to understand biblical love, if you want to understand God's love, look no further than Calvary's cross. Jesus Christ in the ultimate display of love demonstrated for us sacrificial love, giving love, and forgiving love. Really, I've just given you the points of, of the message. If you think about that, what does look like, love look like? It's sacrificial, it's selfless, it's giving and forgiving. And very few places in our life do experience that. From time to time, there are glimpses of it, but much of the love that is, is given or even portrayed in our world is given with some ulterior motive, with some strings attached. There's a sense that if I love this person or this thing, it will bring back for me satisfaction, fulfillment, contentment, or some other benefit. And yet the love that the Bible describes is an action that is toward others. It is not focused on ourselves. God forbid that we as His people, of all people, would not be viewed as a people of love. Maybe, perhaps, there's a place in all of our hearts that we need to repent. That we've not cared for one another in ways that we should. That we've not looked after the needs of others that are around us. Now, I know that we throw the word love around in our society in incredible ways. I could say to you 12 or 14 or 15 different statements of things that I love. From ice cream to Panama City to my wife. And you understand by context that all of those mean very radically different things. I love college football and I love sweet tea. I love to deer hunt and I love this church. But none of those are the exact same thing. But the reality is that there's a biblical picture of what the Spirit of God brings into our life, and it's something that you and I cannot manufacture or muster. We cannot develop or grow fruit on our own. Today, I want to give you three categories, if we can, of the fruit of the Spirit. Look with me in Galatians chapter 5. We'll look starting in verse 13, and then we're going to move a couple of other places as we think about this virtue of love. First, uh, excuse me, uh, Galatians chapter 5 is where we'll start. We'll move to 1 Corinthians in a bit, but in Galatians chapter 5, we see Paul writing to a group of people who have started in their Christian life in grace, and yet have felt the subtle tug toward works creeping in. They're saved by grace, and yet there's a pull toward doing things religiously, doing things as the Judaizers have told them they ought to do, keeping the law, performing works of the law so that they'll be right with God. And before we cast stones at them too quickly, we have set up our own set of religious rules. We at times set up the system where coming to church or paying a tithe or teaching Sunday school or doing religious activities replace the actual relationship with the Lord that would bring for us and through us fruit. And so this morning, I want to challenge you to think about your life and measure your life against this. Not to say I need to try harder to love, but I need to abide deeper so that love might be produced in and through my life. It's important for us to see that. I, I didn't give you all of the notes today. I wanted you just to jot them down. And frankly, I'll just be honest. One of the reasons why is we just ran out of time when I got to this place. I recognized last Wednesday morning that I was preaching 13 times over the next 10 days. 
So by the way, anybody want to go to Florida with us this afternoon? I figured out, great, I see hands everywhere. There are 120 teenagers you'll be responsible for. So if you still want to sign up for that trip, you're more than welcome. It'll be a great challenge, but it'll be a great time. As we think about love, though, from the Bible, let me give you the statement of affirmation, and it is in your notes. Let's read it together. I sacrificially and unconditionally love and forgive others. Really, that statement sums up those three thoughts. It's sacrificial, giving, and forgiving. Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. For you are called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. And then he goes on, he says, but I say walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. For those things are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. And then he goes on, as we read last week, and he describes the desires or the evil deeds of the flesh. And let's move forward. He says they're obvious, but then he moves uh, to the place of sharing with us the fruit of the Spirit, verse 22 and following. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another and envying one another. What he has given for us here is just a very simple list of virtues. A virtue is just a a characteristic that is inherent of something. A, A virtue is something that flows out of our lives. It's a quality, if you will. And the Christian life should reflect the virtues of Jesus. The Christian life should reflect the virtues of His greatness and of His excellence. As I think about these virtues, we've been telling you that this is a part of the idea that it matters who you become. That over time, your life should look more and more like that of Jesus. I have jokingly and lovingly said to our joy club on one of my past times of speaking to them that sometimes dealing with senior adults in the church can be like going to a Chinese buffet. And they looked at me strangely and said, what do you mean? I said, it can be sweet or sour. It can be either. And you know that's true. We can get to a place where we sour in our days or we become more and more sweet. And the reality of either of those is what virtues are we reflecting together? And it's easy for us by this world's continual bombardment uh, of messages of get ahead and do better. If you look at the infomercials that are on television, you see just a constant berating of you need this and that would fulfill you. And all these things set themselves up against love that is sacrificial, giving, and forgiving. Now, I want you to see something. Just like there are food groups I believe there are fruit groups. If you look at this list, and this isn't, it's not coming directly from the Bible, but if you look at the list, certainly God wants us to apply all of these to every relationship in our life, but I think that you can see kind of a unique division, and I want you to see this with me. The first is the upward group. So you can write that down if you're taking notes, the upward group. And these have to do with our relationship to God. It's the first three, love, 
joy, and peace. Oh, I don't know about your life before you met Christ. Mine was pretty tumultuous. I I was at a place of searching and longing. In fact, in my testimony that I put on whativaluemost.com, which is a great thing for you to do, by the way, When I put my story there, I said I ran on a treadmill, a reckless treadmill of approval, longing for people to love me, longing for someone to care about me. And I would say, do, spend whatever I needed to. I tried to excel in sports. I tried to excel in in relationships. I tried to excel in anything that I could so that somewhere I would feel validated. But the reality is I was empty on the inside. And only when I came to know Jesus Christ by faith could I experience love joy and peace. You see, joy is, is a fleeting thing in the life of a, a lost person. It's really nothing more than exuberant happiness because it's based on external things. But joy that comes from the Spirit of God is deep on the inside regardless of what comes your way. There's a, a lasting sense of joy. It will not be taken away from you. The world didn't give it, as the old song says, and the world can't take it away. Joy in your life supersedes your circumstances. It goes beyond what happens. If you wake up in the morning and something terrible and bad happens, you can still have joy because Jesus is still on the throne. His promises are still true. His word is still sure. And for you and for me, as we move toward this idea of love, think about these virtues in terms of your relationship to God. The upward group simply shows us that this fruit is born in this relationship with God. Love joy, and peace. But then there's what I would call the outward group. And the outward group are simply those next three. We had love, joy, and peace. Now we go patience, and what else? Help me out. Kindness, and very good. Those fruits help us to see patience, kindness, and goodness. How we relate to other people. Relating to others with patience. Loving them right where they are. And that can be a hard thing to do. I've said often in my ministry life that some people should come with warning labels. Extra grace required. It should just be right there. You should see them coming. You've dealt with those people. Just unreasonable. They they just won't listen. They've got their own way of doing things. And they've got their own design for everything. And if you don't do it their way, it's their way or the highway. It's difficult. God says they're going to be unlovable, but love them anyway. Continue to to reach into their lives. And these three fruits, this fruit group, if you will, the outward group, really should define your relationships this week. You ought to be patient with people, and you should work toward being kind and letting the Spirit of God speak through you in those things, and goodness. Thirdly, I would take us to the inward group. We're going to move toward this idea of love, but I just want to categorize these so hopefully you'll understand them. This is what I would call the inward group. Obviously, you probably already got that. This expresses how we relate to ourselves. Faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You see, there's one focus that has to be a part of our lives for all of these fruits to be manifest. It's found in John chapter 15. Jesus gives us a conditional statement If my words abide in you, you abide in me. You will bear much, what? Fruit. Bearing fruit is all about abiding, not trying. If you think about that, fruit comes from being connected to something that is living. 
And fruit will not grow without that connection. And so the reality is that in our lives, we must be connected to a source of life that would bring fruit. And God is the source of life. I didn't start bearing the fruit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control until I got saved. Now, I may have shown some manner of restraint, and you say, well, he's exercising the fruit of self-control. No, I didn't. Because fruit only comes from a living source. And when you are connected to Jesus, when you are related to him, how are we related to Jesus? We use all kinds of terms. But the simple truth is this, that by faith, we trust his grace that says, if you'll trust me, if you'll call on me, you will be saved. You will be reestablished in this relationship. Sin has separated us, but because of the grace of God, Jesus came forth from heaven to earth and identified with us so that he could be the sacrifice that you and I needed. He paid the debt of sin that you and I owed. And in paying that debt of sin, he reestablished the connection with God and man. He made it possible for us to have a relationship. We see it all throughout Scripture, but we see here this very point. He says, once you are in the Spirit, then the fruit of the Spirit will begin to grow. And it's important for us to see this, even still before we get to the idea of love. Hear this. All throughout Scripture, I think it's interesting that God uses the analogies of trees to talk about the spiritual development of the believer. This might be a great homework assignment for you this week. Maybe go in and find some places in Scripture that describe your relationship with God like a tree. How about Psalm 1, 1? Blessed is the man who is planted there by streams of water. Why? Because the roots will grow deep and the fruit will grow plenteous. In the book of Isaiah, there's a beautiful, beautiful picture, and it's seen in Isaiah chapter 61, verse 3. Very simply this, it's a picture of a fruit-producing tree. It's a righteous oak. It says, in essence, that the Lord has planted you so that you would become one that would produce the fruit of righteousness. Again, you can't produce fruit on your own, correct? have to be connected to a source. And so when you're connected to Jesus Christ, the fruit of righteousness can grow in and through your life and in mine. Now, as we think about that idea, let, let me give you one more that just gripped me this week. Turn to Psalm 92. We'll, we'll take the time to look at this together. Psalm 92, verses 12 and 13. There's a dynamic picture here. The psalmist said, the righteous man will flourish like what? All right, this is audience participation time. The righteous will flourish like what? Like a palm tree. He will grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Now, I don't know about you. There are times that I read a verse and I say, well, uh, that was wonderful. It was poetic and, and it was nice, but I don't fully understand it. In Hebrew poetry, often the verse behind it will help you to understand it. And so I would encourage you to read Scripture in context. Don't read one verse devotionally and just stop right there. Read what goes on around it. Verse 13 tells us, 
planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God, and they will still yield fruit in an old age. They shall be full of sap and very green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. You see, he says, in essence, you will never flourish until you're planted in the house of the Lord. And in their picture, a palm tree was a a beautiful, beautiful sight, and so are the cedars of Lebanon, known as some of the greatest timber around. And he's simply saying, you will flourish. You will abound when you're planted in the house of the Lord. And he goes on to tell us this idea of a palm tree. Why a palm tree? I don't know if you know much about palm trees, but a palm tree doesn't have roots that scatter out like tentacles. They don't move outward. It has a root, and it goes downward. And one root of a palm tree just digs down. That's why it's so interesting when hurricanes come and storms come, you may see a palm tree bending over and giving, but that root is planted securely. It's anchored down. And he says here, your life will be like that when you're planted in the house of the Lord. Oh, what great confidence. I don't know about you, but every once in a while, I just need encouragement. And I find myself encouraged that the psalmist would say, your life will stand the storms. Your life will stand against the howling winds and the prevailing driving rains. Why? Because you're rooted in God. And when we're rooted in God, that root leads to fruit. And he says, you will flourish in that place. So why do I share those things with you? These verses speak of life, effective, producing fruit, flourishing trees. God's desire for you and for me is that we're ever increasing, not decreasing not a sign of death and decay. In fact, if you're going to do your homework assignment this week and look at trees and vines as the, the analogy that God uses, you'll also find things like fig trees that bear no fruit. And what did Jesus do when he came upon it? He cursed it. Jesus' desire for our lives is that we are fruitful. And so my question to you, even before we move into the, the first fruit of love, is this. Do these virtues mark mark your life? When I read in 1 Corinthians 13, a description of love, and that's where I want us to turn next. So turn with me to 1 Corinthians 13. We said that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. That's where it started, our upward group. But as we look at 1 Corinthians 13, Paul gives a, a very sharp distinction between the love of the world and the love that is from God. Starting in verse 4, love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous. Love does not brag. It is not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. It does not take into account a wrong suffered. Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. And he goes on and he says about love, faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. You see, I want you to hear this. If John the Baptist, who came preaching this word in Matthew 3.10, he said, even now the axe is ready to strike the root of the trees. 
Therefore, every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. He's not talking about physical trees. He's talking about spiritual lives. And he's saying, if there's not fruit in our lives, then we better be prepared for the judgment that is to come. We'll be cut down and thrown into the fire. I would say this, if John the Baptist, who was standing in a baptistry, he's standing in the water preaching, repent, repent, repent. If he was standing in our baptistry this morning and looking at Hardy Street Baptist Church, he would say, there better be fruit in your life. Now, there are people immediately that would say, "Um, Brother Scott, Matthew 7, 7, you just drop that card and say, judge not. Years ago, John 3.16 was the most popular Bible verse, the most known Bible verse in our society and in our world and our culture. Today, Matthew 7.7, judge not lest you be judged. Well, my deal is this. If you read number one, that verse in context, it's saying to the degree with which you judge. It doesn't say don't judge. It says just be careful in your judgment. But beyond that, we can be fruit inspectors. I can look at somebody's hellish, ungodly life and tell whether or not they're bearing fruit, and so can you. I can tell if somebody's being patient or gentle or kind. I can tell if somebody's being loving in a biblical sense, forgiving. Have you ever met somebody who just carried a weight of bitterness that they never had let go? They'd been wounded at some time in the past, and they never picked that uh, up and brought it to the cross. They just carried it along. You ever met somebody who wouldn't forgive themselves for something? I read this this week. James Dobson said it was pretty, pretty powerful. He, he said if he were to come to the place of trying to describe a, a person who was dealing with depression and low self-esteem, listen to these words. Few human emotions are as distressing and painful as feelings of guilt and personal disapproval. He went on to say when a peak of intensity, self-condemnation gnaws at our conscience, Our mind, day by day, is invaded by dreams of night and worries of darkness. He went on to say, if I were to draw a caricature of most people today, the millions of adults with low self-esteem, guilt, and depression, I would draw a weary traveler with a mile-long chain tethered to tons of scrap iron, and each piece would be inscribed with the accounts of their past failures and unforgiveness. And paralyzed by its weight, they would continue pressing onward, growing more weary, and digging a furrow in the earth. And yet, this traveler could be set free of this burden. How, you ask? By letting go. By turning loose. You see, I want you to hear this, church. When we talk about love being a part of our lives, these virtues coming from our life, I'm not saying that you have to muster them up to earn the approval of God. It's just the opposite. God is not mad at you this morning. God is not vindictively looking to strike you down this morning. In fact, God gave you His Son, Jesus, on the cross to demonstrate His love for you. Go back to what our choir saying, glory alone in the cross. If you want to know how much God loves you, look at the cross. If you want to understand what the kind of love He desires to grow in our lives would be, Look at the cross. Write it down once again. Just get it in your heart and mind. Biblical love, godly love, is sacrificial, giving, and forgiving. That's what love looks like. Now, one final train of thought that I want us to follow for just a moment. Four very simple thoughts. And I've touched on some of them, but I want you to write these down or get them in your heart. Four truths about 
fruit. Because this bears at the heart of all of the rest of these virtues. Because again, if we're not careful, we'll begin to try to muster these up in the flesh. And can't do it. It's impossible. Let that chain go. Number one, fruit is the result of life. We've already said that. John 15, 4 and 5 Remain in me and I in you just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine. That word remain means abide, stay connected. Jesus uses the word abide there in John 15 seven times in three verses. And as he does that, I think it's pretty important for us to see you must stay connected to Jesus for fruit to be born in your life. I think it's incredible as you look at 15, that chapter, he starts on one end and talks about no fruit. And then he talks about fruit. And then he talks about more fruit. And then he ultimately talks about much fruit. So for you and for me, let's just categorize our lives. Would you say this morning you're bearing no fruit at all? Would you say that the abiding relationship that you have with Christ is beginning to to bud fruit in your life? Maybe there's much fruit. I, I, try to, I try to take this category of love through this pattern of, of 1 Corinthians 13 and what I read Jesus saying here. Scott, you can't love people unless you're connected to me. And so, Scott, here's what you need to do. Just take 1 Corinthians 13 and begin to ask. Is there, it said love is patient. Is there anybody in your life that you need to be more patient with? Do you need to be more patient, Scott, with your wife or with your children? Do you need to be more patient with your deacons? Do you need to be more patient with your neighbor? Do you need to be more patient with the, the customer service representative that you talked to last night? I, that's just an analogy. I'm not, no confession there at all. Do you need to be more patient with people in your life? More kind, more loving, less arrogant. It said love does not boast. And yet I find myself wanting so bad to look good in the eyes of others that I boast about things that I accomplish. And Jesus is showing me on the cross that that goes out the window. Love is selfless and sacrificial. So why don't you use 1 Corinthians 13 this week as a litmus test for the love that is being born or or produced in your life. Number two, every fruit has a root. Good or bad fruit, by the way. Think about this, if anger and jealousy come out in your life, it may just be that those are the root, but or those are the, the fruit, excuse me, and they're the result of the root. And the root may just be fear or rejection. Maybe you've had a past pain and it comes out in anger. For us, we need to go back down to those roots. And that's what I said last week, we need to pull the weeds. We need to take, if we're going to fruitful farm in our own hearts and lives where the Spirit of God is producing fruit, we need to rip up those weeds in our life that are choking out the fruits. Positive fruit like love and joy and peace are tied to and connected to the Lord Jesus Christ. Number three, and again, this is saying some of the things we've already said just in a different way. All trees are known by their fruit. I can clearly look at the fruit of a tree. You know, this is an apple tree. This is a pear tree. You can also look at the Christian's life and have a good sense of who they are. And finally, I'll say this. Deeper roots produce more fruit. Deeper roots produce more fruit. I I was sharing with a Sunday school class this morning 
how interesting it is that God will answer prayers and will be surprised by them. I cannot think of a single day in my life that I have prayed, God, today, give me the opportunity to share the gospel with someone. And I came to the end of the day disappointed that he didn't answer that prayer. He has answered that prayer 100% of the time. Now, there have been days that I've rushed out into my day that I was busy, I, I did a quick devotional quiet time and zipped into meetings that I had and other things and didn't pray that and I came to the end of the day and say, not once did I share the gospel today. You see, when you're rooted in truth and in the practices that we've been talking about for the last several months, prayer and Bible study, when you are disciplining yourself toward godliness, the Spirit of God moves in and deepens that root and the abiding joy that flows out of it begins to produce fruit. And so for you and for me, you need to understand your life is demonstrated not by your belief system, but by your actions, by your words. It's been said that someone said, I, I can't hear what you're saying because it's being drowned out by how loud what you're doing is speaking to me. You ever met somebody that way? What they did contradicted what they said. May that not be true of us. Church this morning, very simply, let us be a people who abide in Jesus Christ and in whom and through whom the fruit of the Spirit begins to grow. And we start out today by simply saying God wants us to be loving. In fact, he said it this way, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. It's demonstrable. You can see it. Romans 5, 8, God demonstrated his love. How? The cross. If you're here today and you've never experienced that love, maybe you've longed for it. You've longed for somebody that would love you without judgment, who would love you without a, a sense of, 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 of wanting something from you, with no strings attached. Let me tell you, there are no strings attached to the cross. Simply grace that's offered but I want to say this, it's not grace so that you'll have freedom to sin, it's grace so that you'll be freed from sin. You won't have to sin anymore. You won't have to look to those cheap imitations of love and the real giving, forgiving, sacrificial love of Jesus can be yours. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for our day. Thank you for our time this morning. I pray, God, that you have spoken to the hearts of, of people. And, Lord, that we would look into our lives and ask those hard questions. Are we abiding in Jesus or are we playing religious games? Are we allowing the Spirit of God to work in and through our lives to produce much fruit? Lord Jesus, I pray that you today would be that fruit inspector and that you would call to mind weeds that we need to pull out of our lives. We want to live for you. And Father, if there's someone here that has never experienced that love, their, their life has just blown from one field to another and never taken root in the fertile soil of your love. God, I pray that their life today would be forever changed. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.